Welcome, Chuck here, Bar and Grill, Jeff Johnson here, Brett Spaghetti over there. Brett Schneider's joining us. Um, how you doing, Brett? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we were we were on the Zoom doing another thing a, a couple nights ago, and you mentioned that uh, through the summer you'd been uh, uh, binge watching old episodes of Survivor. Yeah. And um, and we got to talking and thought there might be some strategies in in the, that show that could help caregivers with their with their coworkers in the classroom. Because one thing I hear a lot is, oh, my coworker is not on board with what I want to do and we're disagreeing. And and so maybe some of these survivor strategies could be helpful in in the classroom. So we decided to uh, to do an episode on this. You pulled together a list of ideas. I got to tell you, Brett, I've got experience with maybe one and a half seasons of Survivor. So I might be useless. Um, how long did it take to uh, binge watch 40 seasons of Survivor? Um, I'm not done yet. Okay. Um, but the the Survivor podcast I listen to has done like a ranking of all 40 seasons and every week they review a season. So I've been rewatching about a season a week. Um, <laughs> so then I can listen to the podcast and know what they're talking about. And oh they're down to the top four, I think. Uh, so you're you're a survivor expert. Not quite but compared to these people who uh, talk about it on these podcasts for a co- living. Compa- compare, compared to compared to me, you will be. So my experience is that the show always takes place someplace hot where people can walk around half naked. Yes, I think that's because they're I mean, like ratings they're, the elements kind of a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, they so there's not there's them. not like a survivor Antarctica or survivor Greenland. No, that'd be cool though. Or Survivor in New Hampshire. <laughs> no, no, there's no, no. <laughs> that would that would be kind of awesome. And so the whole idea is strategies we can use with coworkers to uh, to make uh, life better in our classrooms. Uh, I think the first season, which I mean, I totally watched the whole thing. Maybe I, maybe I'm going to be wrong when I say this, but there was a, like the naked guy. That was season one, wasn't it? Richard Hatch. Yes, he won. Oh. Okay, so I'm going to just say right off as we get started, that should not be a strategy used in your early learning classroom to play mind games with your coworkers. No, being naked to make people uncomfortable and submit to you would not be. Yeah, that would be totally wrong in an early learning setting because the whole children thing. So, so please, it totally might work. I mean, you you might get you you might get to be boss of the coffee maker or something in your early right. morning program. When people are doing what you aren't chill with. You just take your pants off and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so it totally might work, but totally don't use that as a strategy. Um, Not recommended. Uh, it's it's a good way to get kicked out of the early learning profession. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna cut that one off as a as a potential one, although it might be successful. What's your first What's your first suggestion, Brett? Um, so for the list of strategies I found on Reddit, um, no, no, shh, the list of strategies you came up with for yourself. Oh, the list of strategies that I came up with. <laughs> I just don't want to plagiarize. Um, uh, okay, yeah, that's true. You're a good person. Yeah. From Dr. Pepper 450. Um, <laughs> the first one that they list that I listed is to be domineering with an iron fist. And I feel like we've all had those kind of coworkers in the classroom. Oh, Um, yeah, go ahead, sorry. This is a strategy that Boston Rob used, who's a very famous Survivor player. 
Boston Raw, Boston Raw Mariano, Survivor Legend. Um, <laughs> and that's where he just had complete control of his tribe. They didn't do anything without his permission. He even began a buddy system where the other members of his tribe could not go off alone. And that was partially so they could keep each other in check for him to make sure no one was strategizing behind his back. I think this was a, a winning survivor strategy, but it took being around like weak-minded people is kind of the general consensus on that. And it didn't really make him any friends, but I feel like we've known those like kind of type A teachers. So I feel like you can relate that strategy to survivors. Was this guy just really charismatic and that's how he did this? Or was everybody just lily-livered and weak-willed? He had kind of like a mob boss mentality. Um, like when he was on Winners at War, somebody was saying like, oh, I heard something was being talked about. And right away, Boston Rob with his Boston accent. It's like, you know, you're making me not feel good because you're not saying what like what everything you know is. And I don't know if I can trust you now, Ben. And then Ben just spills everything because he gets anxious and feels like he needs to because Boston Rob's saying, I don't know if I can trust you if you don't tell me all your information. So I've, I've totally seen and heard about this in early learning settings. There's, there's like the queen bee of the staff. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe she's been there for a bunch of years and, and maybe because she's a little bit older and been around a lot longer, she's, uh, she's kind of got, um, the, the younger staff kind of under her thumb. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I can kind of pick up these younger, newer people looking for somebody to turn to, but then it also works in a way where that queen bee can turn certain people against other people just because it's like, oh, this person doesn't do things the way I like. So we're not going to talk to them. Sure, Unless sure. Boston Rob thing. Yeah, because I mean, <clears throat> tell me if I'm speaking out of turn here, but my personal experience being a director of a program and also talking to literally hundreds and hundreds of caregivers over the years is the early learning staff situations can be very cutthroat and backstabby, huh? Yes. Yeah, um, I think that's not out of turn. I, 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 and I, I mean, it's this whole, uh, look, there, there aren't a lot of dudes working in early learning, so we mm -hmm. got to call it a mean girl situation because that's totally what it is. Yeah. But it's, it's like, it's like middle school or high school. So, I mean, we can joke about it, but it, it, it is really a lot like what goes on in Survivor. I mean, yeah. so there's, there's a lot of that there. Um, have you ever been, have you ever been mean girled or been the mean girl, Brett? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I think, well, like when you get like taken in by a mean girl, then you're like, oh yes, I have people. Yes, I need to do this too. Like it feels good to feel validated, even though in hindsight, you're like, that was a bitch move. Um, <laughs> are you are you ever the mean girl? Um, I think in like high school, I probably had my moments, but then I also like look back and I can feel bad for what I did, but forgive myself. Yeah, yeah sure. Forgive. We can all forgive. We've all done things we need to forgive ourselves for. Exactly. Uh, so that's a good strategy. What's the next one? What else is, what else is on uh, Dr. Pepper's uh, list? The next one is social domination, which Parvati, who is a very famous player as well, she's known for this strategy. And that's where you're in with a lot of different groups and kind of like likable to everybody. And then because of that, you have a lot of social pull or even if you're not winning challenges, you can still make things go the way you want um, because people like you and they trust you and see you as somebody they can turn to. 
Does that mean you got to be friendly and bubbly and nice and all that stuff? Yes. Or you have to be friendly, but you also, I feel like need to like prove yourself where you're not just like a friendly person. You know what you're talking about, know what you're doing. Yeah. And, and does it have to like come across as real or is that, that, that fake, uh, fakey kind of, I think it needs to come across as real where people need to believe that they can trust you and turn to you. I mean, that doesn't sound maybe as cutthroat as, uh, as, as the Boston guy one. Um, this sounds like maybe something that might be more, more doable if it's, if it's, if it's a real thing, but the social domination is like, um, um, I'm, I'm just a social butterfly or is it like, if you don't listen to me, you can't come into my birthday party. I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's like, I, like where you are that queen bee kind of, but instead of saying like, no, you can't talk to them. It's like, you're the queen bee, but you're friends with all these other like kind of subgroups and they know they need to come to you if they can get their way. And it's like, oh, well you like, I don't know, you went behind my back. So now I don't think I can trust you, but look, I have all these people who are gonna vote you out. It, it sounds like a lot of fluttering around from social group to social group that would totally exhaust me. Yeah, and a lot of it is that like the person in charge, like the Parvati in this situation, she's doing it all completely manipulatively. She knows what she's doing and what she wants to get away with. It's not that she cares about genuine relationships. It's that she wants people to feel like they can go to her and trust her so she can use it to cut them. Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, there's so much emotional labor going on in early learning settings that I think that would be a really hard one to pull off having to having to not only manage relationships, but it sounds like fake relationships mm-hmm. would be just uh, just exhausting. But also for me, it sounds like you'd have to remember a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, what does this person like? What is like the like basis of our relationship that we can connect on kind of stuff? Yeah, there'd have to be like for me, there'd have to be like notebooks because I wouldn't be able to hold it all in my head. I wouldn't I wouldn't be good at that. Yeah. And and then you'd have to worry about that because then the enemy could get a hold of your notebooks and that wouldn't be good. You can't have those fall into enemy hands. No. no. (laughs) What's next on the list? The next one is um, the underdog and JT who won token chains utilized the strategy. And it's where you appear weak or like you're on the losing tribe, but then use your non-threat status to um, to to win in the end. Um, yeah. Oh, so you're just kind of you're kind of moving under the uh, under the radar of everybody else here. Just kinda... yeah. And usually these people are like really nice, really hardworking. Everybody loves them, but you see them as the loser because they're like on the wrong side of the numbers or something like that but you like them too much to vote them out and then suddenly they're in the end and they win so so you're being you're 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 be being really friendly with everybody but you're kind of a, a sad sack make bad decisions sometime kind of person they and so they is it is it because you're you're trying to get them to take take you under their wing and kind of protect you is that kind of what's going on or or what I think yeah a little bit of that or a little bit of like oh I have no power in this situation I'm just going to do the best that I can and then people end up liking that and seeing your hard working and turn to you as an ally and that's that's different than actually being that way because that's the way you are it's using that as a strategy is is kind of totally right there has to be thing. some circumstance to make it like clear that you are an underdog like if your tribe is losing all the time and for like early learning, like 
I don't know, you have conflict with the higher ups or something like that, you know, like something that makes it look like you have a hard time or maybe you're really emotional or that makes it look like you're yeah. not as powerful as you are. Oh, I can't get things done in my classroom because the custodian doesn't doesn't get to our room and I've always got to be doing cleanup and then I can't get craft time started on time and and oh I, I forgot how to use the laminating machine. Can you help me, Kimmy? And that Yeah, that, or like I don't like almost like I just care so much about these kids, I can't help but cry over it. And now yeah. I need people to support. Woe is me. me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think I could I think I could pull that one off. It doesn't sound like I mean, it sounds like one you get to you get to kind of fake being lazy and and incapable, which uh, which which I think I could do. Um, I think that's a good I think that's I think that's more doable for me than the other two would well, be. And that people then end up like genuinely liking you through it, too, that they like want to help you. And like, especially a part of it, you have to have a good attitude, but yeah. it has to be that genuine, not like the parvity, the social domineering where you are tricking people to think they like you it's that people actually like you because you're being yourself and being kind or whatever oh this is so hard i'm good thing i never applied to be a survivor i wouldn't have lasted uh i wouldn't have lasted very long so um we gotta take a break here i gotta ask about this so there's like there's like challenges on survivor right yes. like physical challenges and that kind of stuff yeah I was thinking about this when I was out with the, the dogs this morning. Um, I think this would be a that would be a great strategy to implement in an early learning program for staff conflicts. So if there are if there are any directors listening to this, like like if um, if two lead teachers are are arguing over who gets the playground at what time or whatever, then they've got to they've got to do a physical challenge or they got to eat goat tongue or or yeah. or something. And uh, I mean, I mean, you could start with something basic like arm wrestling. Mm -hmm. I suppose that would be easier to do. But I think the the more physical, the more um, let's just say gross that you make those challenges, it's going to be more enjoyable for the rest of the staff. Right. There's people having a conflict, and what better way than a three story um relay race yeah that that sounds great and again as a director it might take time to set those things up and plan them but i was also thinking about this you could also work those into into some sort of fundraising situation mm -hmm. where you could do it on a on a family night um and it, it's like a family night you got a barbecue going on and then you sh you just everybody on the staff settles their shit with with uh with those challenges that evening and then parents would be i mean there'd be some eh, probably illegal gambling going on betting on the staff person you wanted to win and everything and then uh the program would get a cut and so that would be a great way to uh raise money for for more shaving cream and paint and blocks and that kind of thing too so uh yeah so. and then from like a social strategy perspective the director, our Jeff Probst, if you will, the host, would get to kind of see where the alliances lie and like which staff gets along with who and who would be voting whom off the island if they had the opportunity. Oh, yeah, that's a level I hadn't even thought of. That's that's great. That's brilliant. I don't want to ever get on your bad side, Brett. That's <laughs> that's brilliant. So what's next on the list? The next one is um, Oh, so you're going to have to learn a new word for this. It uh -oh. is a paganging, which pagong is the name of the first tribe that Richard Hatch, the naked guy you were talking about was on. And um, he's the person who implemented the strategy. And it's where you have like the majority of numbers on your tribe. You have more people on your side than on the other side. And you just eliminate everybody on the other side. Oh, 
Oh, so um, this is this is when oh oh in the early learning program all of the all of the staff that uh, went to such and such a school they got their all they they got their their training in the same place and 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 maybe they team up against the the few people that that for, for were from it's, so it's it's kind of like othering people and and then yeah, devouring them and being like you can't even get in on this because you weren't on Pagong with us you don't know what it was like so I have to vote you out um man i'm getting emotionally exhausted just thinking about this there's just too much interaction um so which of these strategies so far would you most likely to be used or have used i think um a little bit of like the underdog kind of strategy where it's just easier to be nice and try to be likable um but don't have people see you as a threat yeah, you are. I think we're both on the same page. I think so far that's that's where I'd I'd, uh, I'd go to. What's next? Um, the last one I have written down is kind of a cop out, but it's just overall being good at everything. <laughs> and the person who's credited with this the strategy pretty much entirely is Kim Spradling. She won Survivor One World by being likable, but she led the social game. She dominated in challenges and kind of initiated a bit of a pagonging between her tribe and the other tribe so it's like don't be a dick yeah so what i wrote down from my notes for this was stuck with an alliance never too threatening domineered in a feel-good way I'm, that that sounds like being your, your strategy is to be a good person <laughs> Yeah, but you need to like, like you have to be able to suss out a threat and know how to eliminate them in a way that people want to also get rid of them. Uh. So in this season with Kim, there was Troy Zan was the guy who was also like was probably her biggest competition. So she just encouraged or found ways to kind of socially manipulate people into finding him extremely unlikable to where they didn't want him around. And you have to do that in a way for a survivor where they find him unlikable, but not where he's a goat that they want to carry to the end because they know they'd win against him. He has to be unlikable in a way that you don't even want him there anymore. So you're trying to be the good guy and put a good guy spin on the bad guy things that you do? Yeah, use your social capital to get what you want in a way that makes people feel good about it. Oh, man. Um, where where do people find episodes of Survivor if they want to watch all 40 seasons and, and really hone their games with co- co-workers? There's some on Netflix. There's some on Hulu. And if you have a CBS All Access account, you can get all of them. Oh, man. Man, there's so many. They can't put them all in one place. That's <laughs> that's great. Um, also, I was wondering um, that, that Jeff Guy Proopst Probst. Probst. Jeff Probst. Um, I remember he 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 like wore the puka shell necklace or something. Didn't he have like a necklace he wore all the time? He still did he wear that all did he ever change it up? He switches it out a little depending on the season. Like they've had some that are in like Samoa. So he has like the Maori um like hook thing and stuff. So he'll uh, kind of switch out which necklace he wears. But he But always wearing a necklace, right? A blue button down in khakis. But always a necklace, right? Pretty much. So I'd have to, I'd have to rewatch. Okay. Well, well, I think one, him changing his necklace based on where he is, is kind of cultural appropriation for, uh, for an old white guy to be doing. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm down with that. But also, you think I could pull up an, off a necklace? You think I should get a puka shell necklace and start wearing it on the podcast? Do you think that would yeah. be a, a good move? Yeah. Uh huh. You know you're the leader. 
I, I, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I just have a feel. I have a feeling. My fear about necklaces is that it would make people make it easier for people to choke me out when uh, when they wanted to. So my strategy is is not to have something e- that I could easily be strangled with. It's also why I don't wear ties. You wear scarves in the winter? Um, rarely. Um, uh, because for the same reason, I'm worried somebody's going to come up behind me, um, and 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 grab it. Or if I wore a scarf, I'd want to wear like a long, a long one, like uh, like that one Doctor Who did. Um, because there's there's a couple Doctor Who's that wore scarves and a couple that some that didn't. But I'd want a, a long, flashy scarf, and then I'd be scared to be on an escalator and it would get stuck, and I'd end up getting choked out. And there's a, a lot of a lot of strangulation worries I have about about things around my neck. So you must have a lot of enemies. Um. Well. I, I don't know, but I want to be, I want to be protected. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, who can, yeah, you never know. You never know when somebody's going to turn on you. I, I did, Brett, I did make an enemy um, yesterday afternoon. I was out walking the dogs um, and maybe some of these strategies would have worked better than what I did, but uh, I'm walking, we're across the street from a veterinarian's office and there's this dude gets out of his vehicle with his, his big shepherd based mm-hmm. dog, not purebred German shepherd, but shepherd based and the dog goes up to the you know the little grass along the along the street between the street and the parking lot there and just poops up a storm and the dude turns around and starts walking towards the vet office without cleaning up after his after his dog and and so I yelled from across the street I'm like hey clean that up and he turned he stopped and he looked at me and he turned around and started walking into the vet's office. And so I said, dude, if you don't clean that up, I'm going to follow you into that office. And I don't care who's there. I'm going to call you out. And um, and then just stood there. And he, he paused for a second. And then he went to his vehicle and got a, a, a bag and, and cleaned up after his dog. So I'm not saying I'm a hero. But um, in that moment, I was I was like totally a hero for the neighborhood. Um, what a what a dick. Um Right. Well, after that guy, like, there's no way he could spin it, especially if he had bags in his car to say, like, like, oh, I'm sorry, I was in the right here to not clean up my dog's poop. Yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't know which uh, survivor strategy I used. Um, I guess it's the Sounds like domineering a bit of a Boston Rob. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't use a Boston accent though, but it was kind of. It was kind. Of, and I, I'm really lucky he did it. I'm really happy it went down that way because he was younger and bigger than me. So um, I think my dogs could have totally taken his dog in a fight. But uh, I'm glad it didn't go that way. Um, right. And that's <laughs> what, why you don't wear necklaces. <laughs> that's why. Well, yeah, because if I and I, again the dogs were on the leash, I could have got choked out with the leashes. I, I I didn't know I had so many so many issues about strangulation. Uh, we're really learning a lot about me in this episode. What other what other what other survivor notes do you have for people? Any other thoughts that we should uh, we should look at? Um, I have a list by David Bloomberg of the rules of Survivor. Um, and is, is David Bloomberg years. somebody we should know? No, he. Oh. he oh. I just want to credit people. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Um, yeah, no, he does like Survivor commentary. He has a podcast he does with Jessica Lewis called Why Blank Lost where after every episode, they'll go through these rules and talk about why this person lost Survivor because they didn't follow the rules. Okay, okay, what's what's he got to say? So the first rule that David made was to scheme and plot. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, so I think these rules, when I was going through them, you can relate them maybe more to the classroom than to 
um, with coworkers, but you could still make it work, I bet. But like to scheme and plot in the classroom would be like you want to be intentional with what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Or you, this is this is. I mean, I I know of situations where staff have schemed and plotted to get other staff uh, demoted or fired or arrested yeah, or situation up so I can make sure other people see what I see about them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, being lead teacher of the toddler room—that's a—that's a high position that might pay seventy-five cents more an hour. And so, of course, people are going to be plotting and scheming to to get that job, or 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 they want to they want a new piece of equipment or everything. And so, there's they're scheming and plotting and and planning for those kind of things. So that that totally goes on in programs. Yeah, I or that. I know for my program, I've totally schemed and plot. Currently, we're just a preschool room, but I would love if we expanded to have the infants and toddlers at some point. So every time we have like a, a meeting with leadership or something like that, I'll kind of scheme and plot to make sure just like those little those little hints, little bugs in their ears about mm -hmm. like some infants and toddlers would be really cool. Oh, look, there's a deficit in our area of that kind of care. <laughs> so, babies are so cute. I know, who doesn't love babies? Look at all these young teachers popping out kids. They need care. <laughs> Absolutely. That's some positive scheming and plotting. I hope it works yeah. out for you. What's yeah. next on the list? But don't scheme and plot too much. Ah. Keep your scheming secret and don't backstab until you absolutely need to. So, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you broaden the, uh, the cohort of people involved in the scheme that that makes it more likely somebody's going to stab you in the back yeah. and uh and or or leak information so you know or playing that is. yeah it's, playing that stuff close to the vest is is really important yeah yeah so yeah don't scheme and plot too much or if you're like i don't know it's like if you're constantly like complaining or being a negative energy around people because you're trying to get your way people are going to catch on to that and not enjoy it. So you need to sometimes. Yeah. You, and it's probably really good to keep the uh, scheming and plotting on the, on the down low. You don't want to be sitting there like uh, stroking the back of a white cat and, uh, and that kind of thing in the classroom, because it's somebody that's going to, that's a tell that you're scheming and plotting or, or, uh, or holding your, uh, your fingers up and stroking your chin and, and, and looking up and because they're, they're going to know. Right. And so you gotta, you gotta, those, those physical tells, you gotta, you gotta hide those. I think that's, that's probably important too. Well, don't catch on that you are. Yeah. Does, does, does he say that in the, in the, in the, in the article, he doesn't mention that. No, he doesn't mention that, mm, okay. but I think he relates a lot of it to survivor stuff. So I'm trying to think of like who, oh, I don't know, people constantly scheme and plot too much where yeah. they're just playing too hard and then others get threatened by that. So they vote them off the island because it's like, oh, this person's just doing too much right now. And they're probably never in any settings that there happen to be a lot of uh, a lot of cute white kitten cat, white kitty cats, cats running no. around. Yeah, no, there that. was a guy, although he wasn't scheming and plotting too much, but he did give off like major villain vibes mm -hmm. in Survivor the Amazon where he spent all day sharpening the machete. Oh, that that would be that would be a great one. Uh, Just like I think slowly with a rock sharpening the machete around the campfire while people are trying to do like normal like camp life things. Yeah, if you're and if you're going to try to pull off the evil villain thing in your classroom, and I mean that could, could totally work. If you don't happen to have a white cat, you could. I mean, if you've got a just any classroom pet, uh, the bunny rabbit would be good. Um, probably not gold, sitting stroking the goldfish. Um, wouldn't, you could find like a stuffed one though. I bet you could find a stuffed white cat. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Or or maybe maybe the um, the uh, the very hungry caterpillar. A lot of programs have that stuffed caterpillar. That would be because yeah. they're long. You get a good evil stroke going on there. Um, I mean, that could evil things to stroke um, and look maniacal um, could be a whole nother episode. Uh, what what else do you have on the list, Brett? His third rule is to be flexible. And this ah. is when you realize things aren't going your way rather than being like, no, it needs to go my way. You need to give a little leeway. Yeah, I think this is really great in the classroom. We can get we can get so locked into things needing to be the way we want them or that we expect them to be. Um, Being inflexible is just it's a great way to break. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so so having a little bit of bendiness sounds like a a good strategy for dealing with coworkers. That's so far. That's that's one of my favorites is is that that be bendy one. I like that one. What else you got? The next one is good too. Don't let your emotions control you. Whoa. I know. So yeah, it's like in terms of survivor, this is saying that like, if someone does something to piss you off, basically, don't make it super apparent that you're mad at them and targeting them mm-hmm. unless you're doing it as a strategy. Um, or you know, like when people blow up and yell at people and stuff like that's rarely good for their game. Yeah. Yeah. And in early learning settings, look, I mean, it's easy for emotions to boil to the surface because all we're doing all day long is dealing with the emotions mm-hmm. of other people, helping kids yeah. learn to manage theirs. And and so it, it's it's understandably hard to keep that in check sometimes. But if you're trying to convince the the assistant director or the curriculum director that you you need new more resources in your classroom or you want to change the curriculum a little bit, yelling and screaming and fussing and whining and whining and throwing yourself down on the floor and kicking your feet is is probably not as effective as not doing those things. Right. And like I was always told, like when I was in college and stuff or entering the classroom, whatever like emotional baggage you have going on outside of school, you need to leave it at the door because you're there for the kids. That's what matters. And even if you have like interpersonal drama at work, if you're uh, like hating your co-teacher at that moment, you can't let that affect your work in the classroom because children are going to pick up on that and they're going to know like, I, like I, they're gonna know something's up if anything even yeah if they're not picking up on like oh they're mad at each other right now yeah and it can be and, it can be challenging to, to set that baggage aside but long run it's a good strategy yes yeah, yeah. i think that's a good one what else you um, got oh number five is pretend to be nice and play the social game and keep your politics and controversial beliefs to yourself and the cameras <laughs> Okay, I mean, this is one I'm doing all the time. I mean, that's what this whole podcast is is built on, except uh, sometimes I have a hard time pretending to be nice. Look, listeners, I'm not really pretending to be nice. I'm I'm fairly a nice guy. But uh, the, the, the one part I have, uh, w- the problem I have there, the hard part for me is uh, keeping that other stuff in check. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it, kind of hard to do on a podcast where your your job is to rant and rave about things. But uh, right. um, for, for those who get annoyed when I rant and rave about things, I, I apologize. But I'm keeping a lot of stuff in check while I'm doing it. Um, no, this is this is a totally a good strategy because when you're when you're throwing all that stuff out there all the time, it's just it becomes ammunition for somebody that disagrees with you um, that that they can they can throw back in your face, and it's just a way of of building walls instead of bridges. I think, huh? Yeah, and I think like 
if someone were to like I've had where like coworkers approach me and say something assuming I agree with them politically or whatever it might be and then it's like then now I'm more uncomfortable and guarded around them because I know there's a disagreement but they don't know there's a disagreement <laughs> you know and yeah just keeping that stuff out of it or I don't know when teachers push like some like political stuff in the classroom then it might make other teachers or parents or whoever feel a way about it um, but then also the main part of the rule is pretend to be nice and play the social game, which I think, yeah, just being nice in general. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Could you, could you, in, in lieu of pretending to be nice, could you just be nice? Right. I mean, <laughs> right. Is that... but I guess we all have those moments where it's like, I am like so annoyed right now. I want nothing more than to like slap you in the face, yeah. but I need to pretend to be nice right now. Yeah. Because, because I can't slap you in the face. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be a good strategy. Yeah. And it's, it, it's a hard that pretend to be nice thing is a hard thing to do sometimes because a lot of people go into their fake happy voice. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you're doing this with with coworkers, they're I mean, they're good at reading that that yeah. fakeness. But but kids are way in tune as well. And they so if, if you're trying to put on the fake happy face when you're you're not with young children, they totally see through it. And so, yeah. well, well, the faking it might might work in some situations, the the genuine niceness is probably the way to way to go. Right. And being able to, I don't know, like own up to like being like, this isn't my day or something, yeah. you know, something yeah. to find middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What else you got? Um, two more rules and then two appendixes. Um, rule number six is don't be too much of a threat. Ah, so you gotta, you gotta tone it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I could see this being like your, like the classroom teacher who thinks that their co-director is making themselves more of a threat mm -hmm. to their coworkers by acting like they have more power than they do. I, I would think this would be a good one for, for real play-based people working in a program that was maybe not so much play-based and they're trying to trying to win people over to, to the play side of things, maybe, maybe keeping some of the, the exuberance and what others would maybe see as chaos um, contained a little bit um, would be helpful because too much freedom for children can scare people away yeah. quite easily. And so just good. kind of kind of unleashing that a little bit at a time in baby steps might make it uh, more likely that the the naysayers are going to come on board instead of uh, 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 throwing true child-led environments out at them all at once that kind right of thing, and how huh? those of us who are play-based tend to get like a little prickly whenever there's pushback i feel like or whenever we feel like we need to defend it or whatever yeah and if you're constantly the person who's like but but like but you don't get it or you know but to be play-based is that really play-based that's you're making it so people don't want to approach you about stuff and yeah you know, yes how they want to do things as well so i mean that's that's all about biting your tongue a little bit more in in some situations to to, to have the long game in mind and yeah. i mean that's that's what a lot of this is uh, is about it's about if you're if your ultimate goal is to be the lead teacher in the toddler room or to get your program more play-based or to implement rough and tumble play or whatever it is mm -hmm. you, you got to have i mean some of these strategies could actually come in handy Right, like the survivor players are doing this with the goal to win a million dollars, but 
a teacher might be doing this with one of the goals you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably very rarely would they probably be doing it for a million dollars. I would like to know where that school is. Yeah, go, go volunteer in that program. Yeah. Uh, what, what's, what's next on the list? The last rule is know how to deal with idols, rules, and advantages, which is, might be a bit of a stretch, but knowing how to deal with rules, and it, I don't know, I feel like there's different advantages that you can find in a program too. So um, the rules would be program policies and state regulations. And so, yeah. so knowing, knowing the rule book, knowing how things are supposed to be done here and why is, is a real good strategy because one, then you know what's expected of you, but two, you know how to manipulate the system if and when the system needs manipulating. Um, so if you're, if you're trying to get more, more playful and there is a program policy or a state regulation that others think prohibits you from doing the thing you want to do, like, I don't know, climbing trees or, or, or water play, um, being, being on top of what, what those things actually are and really understanding in depth what they mean can help you find, uh, find your way around them, I, I guess. And that's, that's a, that's a good strategy to have read read the manual, read right. the rule book. So yeah. you know how to follow the rules and how to skirt them. Yeah. And I would think then with like knowing how to deal with advantages, it'd be like being able to speak to the benefits of the rules that you might appear to be breaking, even though you're still following, being able to speak to the benefits of this kind of play or this experience for the children. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one strategy for getting rules changed is to become become hyper vigilant about following the rules. And so <laughs> if there's if there's a rule that uh, you don't like in your program um, and you you get really strict about having it enforced. And every time you see somebody breaking that rule, you call them out. Um, yeah. It's it's it, people are going to get annoyed with you and it's likely that uh, you can get that that changed. And so so instead of skirting the rules, uh in, in emphatically following them can be right. a way to can be a strategy for changing things up and kind of prove that point yeah yeah, yeah. that's it that's a good one did you, you had a couple of appendix appendix appendices there's an appendix a and an appendix b that are a little harder to i don't know connect but we'll see how we do it says make your votes count keep in mind your end goal so i guess that would be like when you do speak up be um and are mindful of when you're speaking up when you're pushing back that kind of stuff for your program, keeping in mind your end goal in Survivor to win a million dollars. In, in, your, in your program to uh, to <laughs> to get a longer outside playtime. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that that end goal has, is something we should always, always have in mind in in life and in in our programs and and taking those those thoughtful steps to to get there, which is which is really what we're talking about. All these strategies are 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 thoughtful, maybe some are underhanded, but thoughtful ways mm. of 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 reaching a goal. And uh, that that tends to be a lot more effective than than just hoping that your goal will eventually be met right. or, or waiting for somebody else to to take action and meet it. Or making it count would be like instead of talking to like the assistant toddler teacher about what you want to have happen, hoping that it's to get more outside time, maybe your voice would be better heard with your director or somebody who actually like those words matter to them where they have more of a say the assistant toddler teacher is going to be like oh that's a good idea but nothing i can do about it 
Yeah, yeah. Bringing that to act, somebody that can actually take action is a better strategy than mumbling to the toddlers about, boy, I wish you could be outside more. Right. Um, that candid comment you make to the kids, hoping they'll say something to the right person. Yeah, yeah. Like the like the toddlers are gonna are gonna are gonna build uh, put together some some signs and start picketing the uh, director's office for more <laughs> more playtime. That's probably not gonna happen. But but bringing a a thoughtful plan to the director might might be helpful not not definite but that might be a better strategy better approach than 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 fussing about it um that's that's a good one i think there's good stuff there what was that what was the last one you had the very last one appendix b is the jury phase so in survivor this is where after a certain point of the game when you're voted out you no longer go home you are put on a jury and then a jury of your peers votes for the winner of a million dollars at the end so part of this is like some strategy be like, obviously you don't want to piss off the jury because they want to like you and want you to be their winner. Or you want to make sure they can see your strategy so they know that you've actually been working in the game and can respect that you've done it in a way that you're not such a big threat. You get voted out or whatever it might be. So the jury phase is really just having people who are outside the situation back you up, I guess, where they want you to win. Yeah, people outside the situation with power. Yes. Yeah, so this this is going to vary depending on on the early learning setting. Um, if you're if you're uh, a family child care provider, the the jury you have to contend with is is probably on one level your family. If you yeah. wanna if you wanna take that empty room down the hall and turn it into storage for the child care stuff, um, there are probably other people in the house you need to contend with and have on your side before before that happens. If you're in a big program. Uh, I remember the, the jury I had to deal a lot with was uh, was was our, our governing board. Yeah, and our so, board too. so we were going through a a we we decided we wanted to build a new building and spend a million plus dollars, and that involved getting people lined up and on board and that kind of stuff. And that was a lot of maneuvering and planning and talking before the board meeting when the, the votes were cast to to line that up. And so this is this totally goes on in early learning programs. Right. And then considering how like with this jury, they need to understand what you have been doing that makes you deserve the win your like quote jury needs to understand what you've been doing that makes you deserve yeah. the new building. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in, in some cases that jury might be your licensing person. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if you, I mean, if your paperwork is always in order and, and you, uh, you generally get along with them and agree on things, then when you come to them with something that uh, is maybe a little bit of pushback to what they're generally mm -hmm. um, expecting things to be, there's, there's going to be more flexibility and there's going to be more, it's going to be more likely that, uh, that they're going to come down on, on your side if you've got a good relationship with them, that kind of thing. Yeah. That that's great, Brett. This has been a great episode. I think you've uh, thrown out a lot of strategies there, and I, I think all of them can be helpful if you avoid the walking around naked one, and mm -hmm. uh, and maybe don't be too cutthroat. Um, yeah, or, if you're or, constantly being sneaky and strategic, people won't trust you. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if you combine these things, if you if you, for example, are are walking around naked, stroking a white cat with a maniacal look on your face, that's totally you're totally going to get called out for that. And so, so don't don't strategize and and, and scheme and plot too much. I guess that's the takeaway. Yeah. Any any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I don't think so. This was fun. This is like two of my favorite things put together. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> it's like a Reese's peanut butter cup. 
it is. Like I said, I don't have people to talk to about Survivor too often. So I'm glad I was able to find other people who will talk about education with me about Survivor. Uh, Brett, I appreciate it. Um, if you can come up with some some uh, breakdancing-based strategies <laughs> for early learning, maybe we could do a, do an episode on that because uh, I know you and I are both looking forward to breakdancing being in the Olympics coming up here in a few years. Um, hey, listeners. Oh, Brett, you want to plug anything? If people want to... Sh- stalk you on social media or anything or no i don't think so i don't have a whole lot going on i don't even know my preschool's instagram page or else i'd say you could look there um yeah just enjoy life yep. uh, there's uh, there's upper, other episodes of the podcast with brett on so you can go listen to those hey brett thanks for being with us this has been the child care bar and grill podcast back soon with another episode thanks for listening bye-bye bye-bye This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.